0: Welcome to Deal Shredders. We are your hosts, David and Greg. We are local Nashville investors, cash buyers, and real estate agents who love to analyze your
1: deals. Well, guys, we're a few minutes late today, but if you're tuning in, we appreciate it. I am here with well renowned investor Mike Brady. If y'all don't know who he is, you should definitely reach out for a relationship. Mike is an investor in five different states. He's invested in Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, Alabama, and Ohio. He owns a title company. He owns a private equity fund that does lending for rehabs, and we'll get to it in a little bit. But for fix and flip, uh, the Burr method stuff that we're going to talk about today, um, he has personally rehabbed and flipped how many properties? it's between my father and i we're north of 200 at this point so a few guys and then with the burr method you said in the last what two years you've done 20 we've got 28 doors um between ohio and alabama wow and then you flipped your first property when
0: i flipped my first property on a owner finance deal while i was still in college in 1999 so
1: you've been doing this for over 20
0: years i've been in real estate my whole career uh we've done done everything from commercial property management to big commercial restoration projects
1: on high-rises in Dallas. And then now you're doing some land development, right?
0: Yeah. We've got a, we've got a project going with a couple partners uh, up in Springfield to 34 build. And then we've got a couple other uh, projects that are in the pipe. So we'll have um, about 200 to 250 pad sites underway within the next 12 months.
1: So guys, if you don't know Mike, you should definitely check him out, reach out. Um, So today specifically we're going to talk about what's called the BRRR method. Um, If you don't know what that is, it's it's a technique where you buy a piece of property with the intent to fix it up and rent it out and keep it for the cash flow. Is that basically kind of the gist of it? Um, So BRRR basically stands for, it's an acronym, buy, and then you're going to rehab the property, and then you're going to rent it out and get it stabilized, and then you're going to refinance it with maybe bank money or non-traditional lenders like Mike. And then once you get all that stuff done, you're going to try to pull out the money that you put in the deal and then use that to go out and, and rinse and repeat (laughs) and recycle that money into another deal. Absolutely. So talk to me about like that process. So you said you've done 28 in the last year and a half or two
0: years, last couple years. Yeah. So we, um, we,
1: we started buying
0: down in Birmingham, Alabama uh, and So when I'm looking at buying a, 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 a house, these are all single-family. I have one quad perplex I really like the quad. Um, and I'd, I'd like to get more into the some of the bigger door counts per structure, multifamily, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. But
1: Is that because of management? Like it's just a little easier to manage? or Yeah, it's easier to manage. Repairs seem to be lower. Um,
0: the tenants seem to be happier because utilities are lower. Kind of shared, the um, yeah. cost of the board stuff yeah so there's just little things like that that i think uh, tend to be better originally when i started though i was anti family. the reason i was anti family when i started is because when you have multi-family there's only one exit strategy right to sell it to another investor right and or investors
1: refinance and i guess pull out your equity well but that's not an exit yeah, strategy. Yeah, true. yeah so um
0: and investors all of us all of us want to pay a discount right and so when i sell my multi-family i can't sell that you know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to appreciate, but uh, and houses, I always felt like if I had a bad egg, I could fix that one up, sell it, I could dump it. It wouldn't hurt my portfolio to, to have to take a hit on one house, right. and then also with multifamily, like, you get a bad egg in a multifamily building. It, it, can, hurt, it a hurt a whole building, so um, originally, that's why we decided to go after single family instead of multifamily, so um, we buy typically in C&D neighborhoods. Um, so,
1: can we explain that? Because if y'all are listening, you don't have rental properties, like you can make a lot of money with rental properties, but there's lots of different classes and there's, there's different types of rents. We have commercial leases, we have residential, and even if it's residential, we have Airbnb stuff that people do in Nashville. And you have more long-term leases. You say you're in a C and D, kind of explain that. What's that mean? So, uh, you know, a, a three-bedroom, 2 bath house in my portfolio might rent
0: for $800 to 900 so uh, it's a it's
1: a, low it's a lower, lower class so yeah it's kind of going to be boring. a working
0: class uh, type tenant um, average household income for my tenants is probably about 40 to forty five thousand um, dollars
1: so you're not making a lot of money probably on appreciation in these areas
0: uh, they these houses will appreciate and one of the reasons we chose is this area is I personally feel like Birmingham Alabama is one of the last large metropolitan areas that will gentrify. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already started in Birmingham. A couple of the neighborhoods that I bought in that I literally paid $5,000 for a house and would be all in for under $20,000 on a house. There are retail sales on that street now that are going 120, 130,000. So, so you're buying
1: for 20 cents on the dollar. almost. I was,
0: Yeah. it can't. Now can't. I, that same house, I could probably sell that house as is right now for 45, $50,000 without doing a thing to it. So appreciation is happening in that market. And it's what we were kind of counting on. Um, some of my neighborhoods will be slower to appreciate than others, but eventually uh, we do feel strongly that, that in that market, um, you know, this, is, this is our retirement plan, right? This is not today's money, this is tomorrow's money. And so you wanna, you wanna try to plan for something you can get into today that is going to be strong tomorrow. Right. Um, and just about any market's gonna appreciate some. Hopefully. Uh, so take Nashville, for example, where we are, and, uh, you know, Nashville's going to appreciate it. Yeah. There's just no doubt about it. The city is exploding. It's growing. Um, and so even if you decide you're like, Mike, how do I get started in this? I've got a corporate job. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I would recommend looking into an A-class property for your first one. Uh, it's harder to screw up. Your tenants are going to be more likely to pay. Uh, you're less likely to
1: get like a, a complete trash out. Tenant just destroys the property. Right. Um, but more likely. In those situations you're probably bringing more money into the table to close unless you're buying at great numbers yeah right? I mean, if you get lucky
0: and you buy you buy a class property at, at b or c class pricing then yeah you can you can do the burr method with leaving no money in the deal right um that's the biggest challenge in the burr method is trying to figure out do i want to leave 10 15 20 even fifty thousand dollars in each deal that i do do i have when you start off, you've got to look at what your resources are. Right. Right. So if you want to start immediately and you're like, this is,
1: this is all I have, you're going to have to hunt, 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 hunt for that deal. Right. So if you got 10, 20 grand, it's going to be like, let's, let's say we have somebody listening. that's that doesn't have any rentals. They want to buy a house. They want to do the burr method. They haven't done any investing, but they got less than 25 grand to play with. What would be your thoughts? Is that possible? Is it something they can do? It is absolutely possible. So um, if
0: you've got, let's let's use that $25,000 number. If you've got $25,000 to start with, you're gonna be looking at um, tertiary markets. So uh, a primary market might be Nashville. Secondary market might be, let's say, Murfreesboro. Tertiary market's gonna be Columbia. Tertiary market's gonna be, right? be Lewisburg, Lawrenceburg. Uh, Clarksville was a tertiary. I would kind of consider that more of a secondary it's, now.
1: Yes. Trans- Transition the last year.
0: Exactly. But you go across the border into Kentucky, those are going to be tertiary markets. So you're looking at places where um, population is smaller, the velocity of real estate is lower. So days on market is going to be higher. And you can um, pick through deals with less competition to find the right one for your first deal. So uh, I would say you wanna start geographically as close to you as
1: you can afford. Right, so you can manage or keep your eye on that that property, that asset. Yeah. So let's say somebody's got 25 grand, they're looking at those tertiary markets and they think they find a property that they can do something with. How are they, how should they be analyzing? Like, Mm -hmm. what are you considering when you're looking at a deal and saying, hey, this is something that we could actually buy, we could rehab, let's rent it out. And then we'll get to the refinance stuff later mm-hmm. and figure that out like what are those initial metrics that
0: you're looking at so the most simple formula that you're going to use is income minus expenses equals cash flow
1: right that it, it's as simple as that there's really nothing else income to just being the rent the rent right and on so, a monthly basis or on an annual basis i guess the cash flows either
0: way yeah yeah so um but what you don't always understand when you're doing the first one is what are your expenses going to be, right right so um the, your first key is to find your lender that you're going to want to use for your refinance um we are a non-bank lender so our rates are a little bit higher but we're much easier to get them.
1: yeah it's
0: like anything if, if something's easier it's usually more expensive exactly um you can talk to banks i don't know any banks that are doing cash out refinances
1: right now and if you don't have experience with doing kind of real estate stuff or if you don't have a strong normal job with like some money good to play w-2 with income, yeah. yeah if you're not making good w-2 income banks are not going to talk to you just because like your liability is probably with your mortgage and everything else, like you're not making a ton of money to offset that. So you're going to want to look at other creative lending opportunities. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, you're also going to want to buy at deeper margins to cover those extra costs.
0: Yeah. So the, when I got started, I walked into a bank thinking I was a big real estate investor. You know, I've got 1099 income. I'm strong. I'm, they're gonna love me. They laughed me out of the room. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I We did the same thing three years ago. <laughs> pretty well they determined. I was like, screw you, banks. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna go find my own way. And that's how I actually became a living. It was that 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 meeting right there changed my life forever because I went out and I just I met everybody I could that owned a private equity fund that uh, worked for a secure test fund. I joined every association that I could and I became a lender. Um, and through that, my business has grown considerably. So now we can you know, do your acquisition, we can do your re- rehab, and then we can do your refinance for you all in one, under one roof. Um,
1: and you get tons of people experience deals all the time. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a good pulse on the market what's going on because people bring you stuff and saying hey yo check check this out is this a deal what do you see so you're always having to be in touch with what's going on in this area or this market or right. wherever you're lending yeah
0: so yeah that, that pulse is is definitely important for underwriting so um, so let's get back to our example so at twenty five thousand dollars, let let's say you've uh, found a house and you need to figure out what your cash flow is going to be right so i use i use a four net method um, everyone has their own method and this is not necessarily the way you need to do it. But if you want to grab a pen and paper and write this down, this is a good place to start. Right? So when I'm talking about my expenses, I'm going to do, um, you can always go and figure out what your mortgage is, expense is going to be, right? You just need your more mortgage terms. Um, and I use Carl's mortgage calculator. It's a free app, uh, on the play store and on iTunes or wherever however Apple people get their apps. But, yeah. uh, you enter that information in there and you're gonna get your monthly expense. So plug that in, right? And that just covers
1: your mortgage uh, interest and principal. That's not covering property taxes or your insurance, I'm assuming in that app. Like, if you don't know the breakdown of this, we can talk about it you know, another time, but ultimately like there's four factors, you know, PITI, principal interest, tax and insurance. So now you have just your principal and interest. You need to go figure out what your local taxes are and you need to figure out what your property insurance is. Because that's going to be, I'm assuming, one of the things that you take into account. for.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So taxes and insurance are going to be netted out of your uh, monthly revenue, and then I use uh, four additional kind of uh, fixed costs that I plan for. So property management's one of them. My property manager charges me seven percent, seven
1: percent of the of gross, gross revenue, gross right? rent rate, correct? Right. So, so if they're if it's a thousand dollars a month in rent, they're charging me seventy bucks a month to manage that property. What does that management usually cover they, like just making sure that crap goes wrong and they're there to fix this you're not getting calls or so yeah they're taking care of collections for
0: me they're okay. taking care of lease ups um they're taking care of lease renewals okay. and then when uh for for my portfolio when a repair comes in i actually have a crew down the Birmingham. so they just send me the repair request and i deploy my crew saves me Fifteen to thirty-five percent on each service call. Right, because they have a
1: management fee on repairs, mm-hmm. like most property management. And they don't care do.
0: about necessarily getting the work done for um, a, a good price. No, you know, they just they, yeah. can, they care about making the job easy.
1: Right, they make one phone call to Jimmy. Hey, buddy, right. go fix this, and. Sends a bill over, and it's just, certainly I
0: can't fault them for But yeah, you know, I, I,
1: can, I can be a little
0: bit more frugal than they can. So i for do sure. repairs as we
1: should be because ultimately, like, it's our bottom line. We put that money away or it goes somewhere else.
0: Yeah, okay. So we've so seven seven percent for property management. Cool. Uh, I generally use seven percent for taxes and insurance, um, but you need to check your local market. Um, like, if you're in Texas, it's more like 15 percent, I think. So uh, you just need to know your numbers there. Um, All of which
1: ins- the taxes will be properly public information so you can find that without having to like like do a bunch of extra stuff you should be able to find that locally with the accessor's website or something mm-hmm. like nature or zill or redfin a lot of times have like old taxes so
0: they sure do yeah
1: usually it's fairly easy to find
0: pretty easy um and then i i, t- I do an additional uh seven percent for vacancy so that's an escrow account that i build it's somebody for needs- vacancy where somebody moves out okay uh and then i do uh 7% for repair. Uh, so we just kind of escrow that 7% of the total rent rate for
1: repairs. So we have 7% for property taxes and insurance, 7% for property management, 7% for vacancy, and 7% for repairs. So all of that, if my math is right, is 28% roughly. And you back that out of whatever your monthly rent is, mm-hmm. and then... That's, let's say, let's do simple math. $1,000 rent, if we're backing out those four numbers at 28% would be $280. So now we're making $720 a month.
0: Before mortgage.
1: Before mortgage. That's still interest. So now, how are you assessing, you know, your cost of money or your mortgage and whatnot, and when is that worth, uh, the cash flow that you make you know in comparison
0: so after i calculate um hold on just a second my dad's trying to get into
1: top off here and i have to text him something you're good (laughs) so guys if you haven't been following so we got rent and we backed out 28 percent of costs property taxes property management um then repairs if something goes wrong with the property and then we have uh escrow account for vacancy if somebody leaves And we have a month of vacancy. Over the course of a year, we saved up 7% of our funds to cover that. So it's not just a a mortgage. Right, so we can pay and not be bleeding money on a monthly basis. And
0: some people additionally want to um, pull out a CapEx reserve as well.
1: So CapEx, let's explain that capital expenses.
0: Right, so replacing roofs, replacing air conditioners, turning a property after a tenant moves out. My terms typically
1: cost me about $1,800. That's touch up paint, clean the carpets. right. so depending on, mm-hmm. the, depending on what your rent is, that could be a, a moving figure. That can be a few percent per month, mm-hmm. or it can be a lot depending on... Because something to consider with the Burr method, um, when you rehab the property, depending on how good a buy you get, you're hopefully trying to remove as many capital expenses as right. possible on the front end so that your cash flow is not affected on the back end, right. or it has the minimum amount of effect so that way you can put some money in your pocket. Let's touch on
0: that real quick because um, as a general rule, I always look at trying to make the amount of repairs that So, like, if I think the roof is going to go down in five years and I'm doing seven year notes, I'm going to go ahead and replace the roof when I buy it. Right. Cause but you can I think get the that finance. Got, yeah. If I could think the roof's got 10 years on it, when I go and do my refinance again in seven years, then I'll do the roof at that point in time. Um, so we try to, we try to take care of all the systems, the roof, the air conditioning, the plumbing, the electrical, the foundation, uh, any other structural issues, windows, insulation, kitchens, bathrooms, all that stuff, anything that we feel like
1: may not make it through the life of the loan, mm-hmm. we go ahead and fix. That way, ultimately, you don't have to dig into your piggy bank later to do extra repairs that you could have just done on the front end. So that way your cash flow on a monthly basis is locked in, hopefully, you know, not oh, only Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Inevitably. That's, that's business. Things always go wrong. But ultimately, that is continuing to make you money. And then you're putting a little bit of money aside and say okay something goes wrong but that way your your performer you know for the most part is unaffected so i do
0: 15 year amortization schedules on my on all of my rentals okay. uh, on seven year notes so my goal is to have half of to when the seven years is up and my notes are called a third of the principal balance of that loan is going to be paid off my goal is to have enough equity in my portfolio to sell half of it pay off the other half and have However, many my my goal is 20 free and clear houses. Um, by the time it's all said and done,
1: so then at that point, if if you haven't been following, because that was a lot of high level stuff that's fantastic. (laughs) So, you want to have 40 units that you have amortized, like your loans on a 15 year, but with a seven year call period, right? So, the loan's only
0: seven years long, and, and so there's a balloon at the end of seven years where you have to pay the remaining principal balance or refinance the loan
1: again. So basically the interest rate, the amount of interest you're paying on a monthly basis is calculated on a loan being 15 years, but he's, he, the loan term only lasts seven years. So th- what ends up happening is you pay a little bit less interest because it's a 15-year like amortization instead of a 30-year, just the way it breaks down without going into all the math. You pay, you pay more principal to the interest rate. Yes, yeah, exactly, the offset. Of the principal and interest and then after seven years when you're getting close to when that note's called like hey you get paid off you're hoping to pay, sell 20 of those units and get the equity from the 20 years of or seven years of rent plus maybe some appreciation and use that to then pay the other 20 years the 20 units off free and clear and have those 20 units that are then cash flow like crazy mm-hmm. cool yes. so then so then what the question that i have is Okay, well, so let me
0: let me touch on this real quick because uh, w- one of the reasons I brought up my amortization schedule is because my monthly payment is higher than if you have a longer amortization schedule. Right. Okay. And so when I do my calculation, going back to that our initial question of how you evaluate a deal, when I evaluate an individual house, once I net out all of my expenses, if I'm still going to make two hundred dollars a month, I buy the house.
1: So that's your rule. Of thumb. That's my rule of thumb. But I don't that's really based on that. That's, <laughs> but that's based on a fifteen-year amortization. Right. Where if it was a 30 year amortization, I
0: would need to make at least
1: $300 a month before it make sense. Right. Because I'm probably
0: paying an extra $100 a month. In, an in interest. Principal, yeah. Principal.
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what you're
0: saying. Um, so, but that's in my market in Birmingham. And then my general rule of thumb when I'm buying in a D neighborhood, I'm at like 45 to 50 times the monthly rent. So, if rent's uh, $1,000 a month, I'm going to pay, I'm going to be all in on that house for purchase, closing costs, repairs, stabilization, everything. Everything for under fifty thousand dollars.
1: So rent times forty-five to fifty. That's your. That's my quick quick, dirty rule of thumb. If the numbers are anywhere close, hey, let's talk. And
0: because of that, like I, I had a portfolio come across my desk yesterday, sixteen units, and in in less than three minutes, I shot an offer off. Offer was two hundred thousand dollars less than they were asking, but I make an offer on everything. Right. They came back to me and said they took off.
1: So he bought 16 doors yesterday, guys. Or locked sure. up 16 doors. Locked them up. I haven't seen him yet. It's all subject to Right. And I paid 32% below asking price. But, because I
0: took the time to make an offer.
1: And, right. and I made an offer on my terms. You don't make an offer on their terms. Well, and that's the thing that like people don't realize in investing. Uh, deals happen every single day. And there's a plethora of deals out there in the market. You have to be willing to know what your buying criteria is and then make offers. If mm-hmm. you make offers, you'll find deals. But... You just have to know how to make calculated offers where you can protect, you know, yourself and also cash flow because ultimately you make all your money on the buy. Mm-hmm. If you buy wrong, you cannot fix it. Later. Yeah, that's like, absolutely
0: right. Which is why if you're a beginner and you're starting out, I recommend uh, if you have the ability to buy an A-class property because it helps remove some of those mistakes um, that you're inevitably going to make because appreciation appreciations going to happen
1: cool so we've only hit the first part so we're kind of, well so now we've, we found a deal that we bought based on your criteria backing out the 28 and cash flowing at least 200 dollars plus on a 15 year yeah, that's on mine that's that's what yours is but at that point cool i'm going to buy this property the next step of the burr method is we're going to rehab this property so well, let's
0: talk about financing the acquisition so real quick um if, you, if you're not buying with a bank, give me a call. We're doing 100% financing on acquisitions for this stuff right now. Um, uh, as long as you are a qualified borrower, we'd be happy to help you out with your financing on rentals or those flips. So got that piece out of the way. So now we're gonna talk about rehab. Okay, so, at the, but this is also
1: gonna be like talking to you as well because if they wanna rehab a property, you have, you know, like you're the lender who's doing the fix and flip stuff, loans, you know, when we're calculating all like our all-in price for the purchase plus the rehab we just went over the formula of what you're saying but now at this point what you're hiring somebody out to come in and just take care of the the, the construction stuff or you yeah. all handling so that my, my
0: crews take care of my rehabs for me i've got a couple different crews i cycle through it's important to always 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 have a backup for every trade no matter what yep. do not ever depend on one individual contractor because you will end up paying too much
1: or you'll spend way too much time and then pay the lender way too much. So either way you spend too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my dad. One of my dad's favorite sayings is interest never sleeps. And, uh, if, you, if your property's sitting and not getting work done, man, you're you're just you're burning money every day. Uh, and you should understand what your daily hold rate, like our daily hold rate here in Nashville per property is somewhere around $170. Yeah. It's $170 we spend a day in taxes, insurance, utilities. And interest. interest.
1: Yeah, same like, and then you start thinking, oh man, I got six properties going. So that means every day I'm burning about $1,000. You start being like, man, I got to be honest. Because if not, you don't feel it immediately. You feel it in the back end when you sell the property, like, man, we didn't really make that much money. Well, yeah. you run the property for an extra three months. That hurt, you know? So, <laughs> hurts a lot. So, okay, you find contractors, they rehab the property, you've done that. Um, at this point, You're renting, I guess it depends on the lender because some people will need to put a renter in, or not renter, the lender. Some people will need to put a renter in and stabilize the property in order to do the last step, the refinance. But then some people...
0: Almost every lender today, post-COVID, post-pandemic, in our current recession situation, whatever you want to call it, almost every lender out there, in fact, I don't know a single one that is, will lend to you uh, on a stabilized loan, so a long-term loan without a tenant in the property. So you're gonna you're gonna have to tenant that
1: property. So you bought it, you rehabbed it, go put a tenant in it and find a good one. Let your
0: property manager do it if you're not experienced in it. Um, they have the ability to pull background checks, credit scores, uh, do all of the, the review of their current employer, all that kind of stuff. And if you don't have a good rule of thumb, um, there are lots of free resources on the web. Just look, how do I choose a tenant? Google that and you're gonna see all kind of great stuff don't pay for any of it. Find the stuff that's free and, and that'll, if you're going to tenetate yourself, make sure you arm yourself with information because a bad tenant can completely destroy all of your work
1: and your investment. So then they put on the tenant. What are most lenders like yourself looking to see from a seasoning period? A seasoning period is being the time that the renter is in the property so the property can season or stabilize from a cash flow basis before, you know, you're willing to put long-term capital mm-hmm. and lock that up into
0: I mean, we have no seasoning loans, they're not very attractive. So the general rule of thumb is, is you want that tenant in the property about 90 days before you you finish your refinance. Um, So the appraisal can get ordered before then, but the closing won't. Um, uh, The other thing to remember is don't apply for your refinance loan until you're completely finished with the rehab and you have a tenant in it. Because if you're still working on stuff, the appraiser is gonna come out and they're gonna give you a lower valuation on your property because he's gonna appraise that as is. Uh, For those of you that don't know the difference between as is or subject to appraisal, as is is just like it sounds, that house appraises like this as it sits. A subject to appraisal, uh, an appraisal will come in and say, well, based on this list of repairs you've given me, this is what the house will be worth subject to those repairs. A lot of people call that ARV or after repair value in the appraisal world is called subject to appraisal.
1: Yeah. And then if you do a subject to appraisal, you have to have the appraiser come back out once you finish the work to verify all the stuff that's been yeah. done, subject to the improvements, so you, the bank can then underwrite that loan based on that evaluation. So it's it's beneficial that a lot of subject twos, uh more so with, you know, refis on personal properties and things like that nature, but it's a little bit more complicated. So if you can get all the work done and have it done, do it, it'll make your life a little easier. So then at that point, they start the, the refinance process, get all the paperwork submitted, um, whether it's with a bank or with yourself, let's talk about that a little bit. So,
0: so we actually, um, I, I have new terms as of today, so I'll go through this real quick because this is, um, super valuable. It, well, and it, these are some really good numbers compared to what we've been seeing in April and May. So, uh, we're back with, uh, cash out refinances is going to be a five, seven or 10 year interest only period. After that, it converts to an adjustable rate mortgage. Uh, rates are going to be between seven and a half and eight and a quarter. So as like three weeks ago, that was at 9%. So rates are already starting to come down post COVID. Uh, more lenders are starting to open up as the security markets are starting to unfreeze. So maximum, if you're going to buy on a long-term note, you're going to have to put 25% down. But if you're doing a refinance, we'll go up to 75% loan to value Okay. So what that now means 80,
1: is, not so no longer eighty. 80 is, 80 is gone. gone. Eighty's gone.
0: Eighty will be back
1: next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was pre-COVID, but definitely not. Well,
0: definitely not. Now seventy-five percent is about the best you're going to find out there right now. In fact, most lenders are still at sixty-five or seventy percent loan-to-value. So whatever your house appraises for with that tenant in it, your max loan is going to be seventy-five
1: percent of that number. So, so what that means, guys, is when you're doing your calculations for your cash flow, like Mike was talking about, that's fantastic. But if you're trying to do the burr method and refinance all your money out where you have no money in the deal and your like cash on cash return is infinite your total cost of everything your purchase any fees for purchasing it your rehab your holding costs any fees to the long-term lender who's putting the loan in place and everything cannot be more than 75 percent. otherwise you're going to have some of your money or whoever's money however you structure that in that deal Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to figure out how to either get it out or leave it there and park it until you refinance later or sell the property down the road. So we
0: talked at the beginning of the segment about uh, how to decide how much money to leave in. And and Dave just gave used one of my favorite phrases, infinite cash on cash return. I mean, that sounds so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you've got $0 invested in something and you make $2 on it, that is infinite cash on cash return. So it's not necessarily a great return, but since it's none of your money in it, right, your, your return is infinite. So um, it, it's important to understand cash on cash return. Uh, cap rates don't apply here. Do not use cap rates when you evaluate. You want to use ROI, cash on cash. And your cash on cash return is just simply how much money did you put into that project and do you have to leave in that project? And you uh, divide it by how much money you make per year on that project. The net, basically. The
1: net. So if you're using the analogy from earlier, we had thousand dollars rents and we back out the 28% for all the fees and stuff. So now we're down to 720 a month and we back out our mortgage. Let's say our mortgage was $520 for using that. So we're putting away $200 a month or $2,400 over the course of a year. So if you have, you know, Let's say you had, yeah, let's say like, like some of mine, a couple of mine, I've got like
0: $5,000 I had to leave in the project, right? So let's say we left $5,000 in the project and we've got
1: $2,400 cash. You almost cash. have a 50% return. It's about a
0: 50% return on your, on your investment.
1: Which would be like going to the bank and saying, Hey, can I give you my money? and you give me 50% on my money? Yeah, let me give you a thousand dollars and 1500 back at the end of the year. And they're going to laugh at you because they'll say we'll do 0.001%. Yeah.
0: So everybody brags about how they've got their infinite cash on cash return in place right but that infinite cash on cash return is not necessarily the best thing for that for every individual if you've got money sitting in an ira if you've got money sitting in a savings account not really doing anything for you just earning crap interest at the bank invest it in a piece of real estate and get that cash on cash return anything over 20 percent, i'd say is great absolutely right uh if you're getting a 20 percent cash on cash return Oh, no. And you're getting,
1: I mean, and you're putting money in your pocket every single like, I mean, I know that's calculated into that return, but like, you're increasing like, you're you're decreasing like your monthly overhead basically with that cash. Exactly. Instead of it just sitting in a bank account and literally doing nothing for you, doing nothing. It's not it's not moving. Like I've learned that money does one of two things. It's either growing value or it's decreasing in value. If it's parked somewhere, it's decreasing in it's value. Decreasing value. If you don't realize that, pacing it. Yeah.
0: If you don't realize that then
1: you're not even in the game right um, cool so you were saying 75% any other terms that you want to go over with like yeah so
0: uh, five seven ten year interest only uh, seven and a half to eight a quarter percent uh, for your rate um, and that's fixed during that five seven or ten year period max 75% LTV um, up to 100%
1: of cost, right? Up to
0: 100% cost, right. So if you want to do cash out, like if you bought a deal real deep and you want to walk away from closing table cash, we're gonna be maxed at 70%. Gotcha. But we'll, we'll, fi- we'll finance out your current loan up to seventy-five percent Cool. Um, closing in 10 to 14 days. Um, and then we can go up to 50 million in value. So multifamily works for this. Um, we even have a build and hold product right now. So if you wanted to say you're in Columbia, uh, and, you, and you buy two acres that you can put eight houses on. We can finance that construction and the you. That. Cool.
1: That's fantastic. So you touched on something earlier that maybe I want to give a little bit more information and then we'll see if we have any questions. Uh, you touched on like what a qualified buyer, or not buyer, but a borrower is. Yeah. Explain that for somebody who maybe has never borrowed any money from a hard money lender or a private equity fund or right. anything like that. What does that mean? Because So today's
0: world, we're going to call it post-COVID. Um, in today's world, uh, a qualified borrower is going to have a minimum FICO score of six hundred and fifty. Okay, okay? Uh, a well-qualified borrower is going to have a credit score above seven hundred in order to get the best rates. They're going to have completed at least two previous deals in the last twelve months. Okay, so if you're a beginner, you're going to get the worst rates, right? Regardless, because regardless, just, you pay and, to play, guys. That's and, how it is. And even then, sometimes you're going to have to bring in a partner. So if you're a beginner in this, and cousin Uncle Billy. Has done 15 flips, bring him in as a partner on your first deal. Be like, hey, Billy, I got this money sent in a bank account. You've got experience. Let's do this first house together so that I can understand how to do it and I can get experience under my belt. Do a separate LLC just with him on that one property. Hopefully it goes smoothly for you. Sometimes it doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't, but you're going to learn a lot and then you'll be a well qualified borrower after that deal.
1: Speaking of, like, don't you still have the program where you're doing? thing on, nah, Not really. Yeah. Okay, so we why? had, we had a
0: kind of a, a mentoring beginner program back um, you know last year, but uh, that, that's, that's nice. not really. Right. Cool.
1: Cool. Um, well, let's see if we got any questions. Let's jump on the good old Facebook. See, so we got a few comments. Great info, guys. Oh, cool. So it doesn't look like we have any questions. Um, Easy I'm gonna, enough. I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna. I don't think we do. Well. Guys, if you do have any questions, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so the
0: easiest way to get me um, is to shoot me an email. So my email address is mbrady, B-R-A-D-Y, at propertyrecycle.com.
1: Cool, and I'll drop that in the comment, guys,
0: so you have it. Our website is www.propertyrecycle.com. You can apply there. You can find more information about our loans. Uh, And if you are a seasoned or a beginning investor, I highly recommend our title office, Toro Title. Our attorney Matt Anderson here. Where we're at right now. Yeah, we're in the we're in the closing office right now. Um, our attorney here is the only attorney in town that I'm aware of that is a title office and also has experience litigating on
1: behalf of real estate investors in Nashville. So specifically um, with construction guys. So if, yeah. if you're like, how do I deal with contractors and how can I protect myself? He's a wealth of knowledge. I, yeah. I legitimately think he knows his stuff. We take real good care of our clients here. So hopefully you'll
0: decide to try Toro Title out. If you got any questions, guys, uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me at, uh, uh, via email. Um, you can—I'm uh, a member of Deal Shredders. You can post questions here, and I can get back to them. Yeah. I'm happy to help. And then I also have a, uh, a monthly uh, meetup called uh, Deal Makers. Well, I mean, it's right. been so long since we've done yeah. it with COVID. Tuesday, right? First Tuesday of the month uh, here at the title office. Um, we
1: start back up in July. Or
0: we are going to start back up in July. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And I think we're gonna be talking about deal evaluation post-COVID. That's gonna be our topic. So if you wanna come learn how to find deals, uh, how to evaluate deals um, in this economy, then come check us out first Tuesday of the month at Toro Title. Uh, we're gonna start at, how does that thing even start? It starts at 3 p.m.
1: Yeah, it's afternoon. Like, I think we were doing like three to five or something. Three to five. I just had a lunch yesterday with a buddy and I was telling him, because he's wanting to get in real estate, I said, in my opinion, the most valuable skill set that you can learn when you're first getting started is how to evaluate properties properly. If you can't figure out what a property is worth, nothing else matters because you have problems with lending. You have problems with what you're offering. Like the next part is figuring out of rehab, but you have to figure out what's worth.
0: It brings up a really good. Um, I've got a kind of project that we've been working on. We've got a really cool valuation tool coming out for clients. Cool, that you'll be able to walk into a property, estimate construction, pull uh, comps. I mean, All that's. Really cool, and it's going to be really affordable too.
1: What, maybe in the next 60, 90 days?
0: Definitely within the next sixty. Yeah, I'm hoping to launch it for deal makers.
1: Cool. So guys, remember that. Reach out to M Brady at PropertyRecycle I'll put the uh, the email in the comments. And then if you have any questions or anything, reach out to him or reach out to us at Deal We would love to uh, talk about more deals. Uh, and guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for giving us a few minutes here Friday. Y'all enjoy the weekend. We'll be in touch, guys. Thanks for ton guys. Bye.